Hey, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you here today. How is everyone doing this morning? Good. Well, hey, if you're new with us, my name is Jennifer Colby, and we're so glad that you chose to spend the next couple of hours with us today. We'll have you here out of here by 12.30, 1 o'clock tops, okay? I wanted to lighten things up because actually... It is really scary to come into a church for the first time, not just coming into a new church, but coming into a church for a long, for some of you, it's been a long time. Everything is kind of weird. I mean, already this morning, we've sang songs, uh, we put money in a bucket, we had the blood and body of Christ, like, that's weird, what does that mean? And now there's a female on stage, and if you're like me, you didn't know that that was okay. So depending on what you have or have not experienced with church, it's all a little bit much. Let me adjust this. If this is one of your first times visiting, I just want you to know that we get it and the people around you get it. And so I don't know what brought you here this morning, but I'm so glad you came. We'd love to meet you. I want to invite you right behind the cross on the other side of those walls is an information desk. And so if this is your first time here, we'd love to meet you out there and help you learn more about what's going on here at Zion. I'm just taking a deep breath because I'm really nervous for some reason. So ah, just Holy Spirit, we just, I just pray for your peace and calmness over this place, over my heart right now, God, over my words. In Jesus' name. Okay, for the rest of you, I know if you call Zion home, I'd like to give you a little challenge. I want you to make it like home. I want you to make it like a place where you can be yourself, that you can be real with the people who get you. I want you to take the next step in your faith. So I have two uh, specific challenges for you. Number one, start praying and asking God, what is your purpose? Why are you here? Why here? Why now? What's God's plan for you? And number two, if you don't have Christian community, I mean real Christian community, not just friends who are Christian, why not? In order for this place to feel like home, you're going to need people who can do life with you. Here at Zion, those groups are missional community groups. We discuss and apply the sermon and the scripture from Sunday mornings. We walk through the highs and lows together. I personally would like to plug you into a missional community group. So if you're interested in learning more, I also invite you to the info desk to hear more about that. With that, let's get into today's message. We are on week four of our sermon series, Rock of Ages, Volume 2, which is all about the attributes of God, the character of God. Like the bumper video kind of revealed, we could go on and on about God's nature. Literally, we're going to spend an entire eternity exploring and getting to know God. So we're barely just scratching the surface these few weeks. Week one, Derek gave us a message on how God is both simple and beyond our comprehension. We live in that tension of being able to know God, but not being able to completely understand him. And then we looked at the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and saw how God was dependable in that story and how he's dependable in your story. Then last week, Pastor Jason brought us a message on how God is the creative creator. The creation story is an opportunity for us to ask not how God created, but why God created. God's creativity means that he is able to figure things out for you in a way that you can't even come to come up with in your own mind. 
It means that while you're only able to come up or think of option A and B, God's got option Z worked out and figured out. And this week, I'd like, to enter, I'd like you to entertain the idea that a core component of God's character is his hospitality. Now, I know some of you hate hospitality. I know that some of you already have your mind made up about hospitality. So before you tune me out completely, please know that I am not going to talk about the hostess with the mostest kind of hospitality. So do me a favor. Take all of your preconceived notions about hospitality, the fancy invitations, having to clean your house, or worse, having to paint your house, actually having people come into your house, whipping up the perfect dinner, complete with the perfect dessert. Take all of those things and throw them out the door. That is not what we're talking about today. Now, to be clear, the Bible does command us to show hospitality in a very practical ways, uh, inviting people in, uh, inviting even strangers, feeding them, or giving them a place to stay, things like that. That kind of hospitality is biblical, but it's not the point or goal of our message today. So we need to unhinge our understanding of hospitality with it only meaning entertaining and hosting. True hospitality is so much more than that. So what we need to do instead is to connect hospitality with two other words so that we can better understand true hospitality. I need you to associate hospitality with the words hospital and hospitable. It's kind of a tongue twister. So hospital and hospitable. There's a reason why all these words sound the same. They're derived from each other. They have similar meanings. So I want you to connect hospitality with hospital. We go to hospitals when we're sick or hurt. We know that. But hospitals are so much more than that. They're a place where rest and healing can occur, a place where wholeness occurs. So part of what hospitality means is to provide an environment that's restorative. Hospital is real hospitality. But nobody really ever wants to go to the hospital, right? So in order to understand God's hospitality, we take hospital, a place of rest and healing and restoration, and we mix it with hospitable. We need to associate hospitality with being hospitable. Being hospitable is the action of showing hospitality, but in a way that creates an environment that's pleasant for living, a place that's favorable for life. So part of hospitality means providing an environment that's life-giving. Do you want to know what's not favorable for life-giving, for life? The, these words, sorry, these world's most extreme places to live in. These places do not have conditions that are hospitable for living. Number one, the Danico Depression Desert in Ethiopia has a landscape of burning salt, volcanic rock, and sulfuric acid. I don't even know what burning salt is. It sounds terrible. The water springs are toxic. There are no DNA traces suggesting original life there. Number two, Death Valley in California has the highest recorded temperature at 134.1 degrees. Tourists go there so that they can try to fry eggs on the ground. Omori City, Japan is the snowiest place on earth. Every year, this town gets 26 feet of snow. 26 feet of snow in just the span of a couple of months. Who would want to live there? 
Now contrast those inhospitable places with these hospitable, most livable places in the world. Number one, Auckland, New Zealand. It received high scores for stability, environment, and culture. It got perfect scores in education. It has an abundance of outdoor activities like beaches and parks, and it's a very safe city. Number two, Zurich, Switzerland. I mean, come on, that is gorgeous. Zurich has good healthcare and good infrastructure. It has museums and architecture and theaters. And that view, what a perfect combination. Norway, like the entire country of Norway, is the best place to live on Earth. It's the country with the highest human development index. It has a high life expectancy, high levels of education, high per capita income, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Who wants to go to Norway for a church plant? Anybody? And lastly, Dyersville, Iowa, and the field of dreams. Is this heaven? Say it with me. No, this is Iowa. I'm kidding. Dyersville didn't make any of those lists. But you get the point. There are environments that are pleasant and favorable for life. And then there are places that aren't. So hospitality and hospitable go together. What I hope to show you today is that God is hospitable. He invites us into a place that's pleasant and good and life-giving, a place where you can find rest for your souls. So what exactly does it look like? What exactly is Jesus inviting us into? Our text today comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30. This is Jesus talking. Uh, there's a very clear offer of hospitality, uh, and I want to show you seven different things that I think uh, we see God inviting us to in this passage. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, which means they would have mourned their sin. They would have, they would have really been sad about this and repented in that way. But I tell you, Jesus says. It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on that day of judgment than for you. He continues to rebuke some other cities in the same fashion, and so I'm skipping to verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These first three invitations that I want to show you is how Jesus off offers the hospital part of hospitality. Remember, we're not talking about hosting. We're talking about hospitality that offers components of hospital. We really can't discuss the hospitality of Jesus without discussing the hospital of Jesus. So number one, Jesus invites us into miraculous displays of power and healing. 
Let me tell you about Bethsaida, one of the cities Jesus was rebuking, and the miracles that the people witnessed there. The people there begged Jesus to heal a, to heal a blind man, and they watched him do it. They ate the food that Jesus had miraculously provided that fed the 5,000. Bethsaida is also where Jesus walked on water. That kind of news would have gotten around. People in that region saw enough miracles that they actually carried sick people to Jesus so that he could heal them. For most of my Christian walk, I didn't believe in miracles. I kind of came from the camp that believed miracles happened in Jesus' lifetime, but they don't happen today. I don't believe that to be true anymore. The truth is, I have seen the miraculous. I cannot tell you how many prayers that I have personally prayed for people in that very prayer corner that have been miraculously answered. Uh, I once prayed for a woman. She said that her grown son had been estranged from her and her husband. They had not talked to him in over a decade. That week, he called them. Explain that to me. I have prayed for years for a couple for infertility issues, and I could go hold that child right now. I have seen really unexpected financial provisions, provisions that seem to just come out of thin air. And there are more stories of the miraculous. Of course, for as many stories as I could share with you, there are as many, if not more, where the miraculous hasn't happened. And I know that some of you are currently waiting for a miracle because a miracle is the only way that whatever you need happens. I know others of you have been so desperate for a miracle, and then it didn't happen. I want you to know that I was crying when I wrote this section because the truth is I am heartbroken for you. I do not want to downplay the seriousness of that disappointment. But the thing is, when I denied the existence of miracles, I denied the power of God. When you and I deny that God can do what he says he can do, we actually deny that he is who he says he is. And here's the thing, friends. We can live in that tension of not having seen the miracle with our own eyes and yet not denying the possibility that he can do it. We can believe that God is who he says he is without seeing what he can do. God, in his hospitality, is inviting us into this. He's inviting us to trust him as the good provider. God wants us to know that he knows what we need so that he can meet our needs. He wants us to know him as the one who desires wholeness for us, as the one who wants us to be completely well, and as the one who knows how to do it and who can do it. Offering wholeness is a true part of hospitality. In order for a place to be hospitable, it has to offer us the complete package of meeting every need we have. Say I invite you to my house. You're thirsty, but I don't offer you a drink. Even if everything else was spectacular, if I don't offer you that drink, something that you need, how hospitable is it really? Likewise, God's invitation to the miraculous and to healing is trusting that he knows what you need, that he desires to meet that need, and that he can meet that need. Number two, Jesus invites us into repentance and reconciliation. Jesus said to the cities, woe to you because you did not repent. When Jesus said woe, it was an expression of grief. It was grief exclamation mark. He was sad for them. 
Here's why. God, in his hospitable nature, designed repentance to be life-giving. Repentance is restorative. Jesus rebuked the towns that were unrepentant. They had experienced the power of God. They had witnessed and received healing and other miraculous provisions. They had received the hospital of God, but they didn't turn back to him. We can't want the healing more than the healer. We can't want the miraculous more than the miracle worker himself. We can't be a people who can see and who have experienced what God can do and not let that return us to him. God desires our repentance, but it's not so that he can come close to us. It's so that we can go close to him. Here's what I mean. If someone whom you've offended but haven't yet reconciled with invites you to their home, do you go? No, that would be awkward. But who's the one who feels awkward about it? Who's the one who feels like it would be weird if you went? It's you. You'd be the one, not them. If they felt weird about it, they wouldn't have invited you in the first place. Their invitation shows that they want your presence despite your transgression. It's the same with God. When we're unrepentant, there's a rift between us and God. We don't feel like we have a close relationship to him anymore. So repentance is for our benefit. It's so that we feel like we're back in right standing with God again, that we can be in his presence again. Question, though, what would happen if you actually did go to your friend's house? Imagine it with me. You'd ring the doorbell. Your friend would answer. What would be the first thing you would probably say? I'm sorry. And what would your friend do? Give you a hug and say, come on in. Repentance is like opening the door back up to your relationship with God. It's not that he doesn't want your presence. It's that your shame prevents you from stepping into his. It's hospitable of God to invite you to a place of repentance so that you can enjoy an unhindered relationship with him again. Number three, Jesus invites us into mercy on judgment day. The last piece of the hospital part of hospitality is God's mercy. Do you want to know why Jesus was so sad about the unrepentant cities? It's because he longs to extend mercy. Jesus, in this passage, refers to judgment day. He's, he was saying, it's going to be sad for you on judgment day. Judgment day is the day when we will stand before God and give an account for our entire lives. And if it sounds strange to invite someone to judgment day, it sounds strange unless you know and realize two things. Number one, we actually do want God's judgment. We actually do want God's justice. We need someone to do something about all the junk in the world. Judgment day is the day when all wrongs are dealt with. It's the time when every bad thing, all the horrible headlines you read in the news, the crime, the victimization, the tragedy, it's also the day that the, sense, the secret things that don't make the news get dealt with. Judgment day is the day when all of those things get addressed. It's the day when justice will prevail. Someday, all the sin that has ever been perpetrated against you, all the sin that has ever been perpetrated, period, gets dealt with. What that means for you and I is that we're also going to be held accountable for our sin. But for those of us who have accepted God's gift of his son, Jesus Christ, on judgment day, the verdict that will be handed down to us is mercy. It's not what we deserve, but it's what we're going to get. 
Because of our sin, we are enemies of God. We deserve an eternity separated from God. But because of Jesus, we're going to get an eternity enjoying the hospitality of God. How does mercy make God hospitable? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you invited your enemy to a party? When was the last time you offered hospitality to your enemy? On Judgment Day, that's exactly what God's going to do. Me, an enemy of God, and you, an enemy of God, we're going to be invited in. And there's something else. Some of you might not think this is good news today, but if your earthly enemy knows Jesus as well, that person is also going to be in heaven. They'll be there too. And that is good. There won't be animosity between you anymore. Some of those relationships that haven't or won't reconcile here on earth, if both of you know Jesus, will be reconciled in heaven. Because on judgment day, for those of us in Christ, God is going to declare you and I not guilty by my son's blood. The invitation of God's mercy and his hospitality through it is the greatest gift of restoration. We will be reconciled to God and we won't be separated again. Nothing is more healing than reconciliation. Now that's the hospital side of hospitality, but I, I want to talk now about what else makes God hospitable. Remember, we're not talking about party hosting. We're not talking about charcuterie boards, okay? God is hospitable. So how does God's hospitality create an environment that's pleasant and beneficial and conducive for abundant life? What else is Jesus inviting us into in this passage? Our fourth point is this. Jesus invites us into continuous fellowship. I want you to see something strange that happens in this text. It starts by Jesus rebuking several cities. Woe to this city and woe to that city. And then, uh, very, I mean, it's very clear that Jesus is frustrated in this moment. But then, very abruptly, without really any uh, real notice, he turns to prayer. And what does Jesus say? He says, I praise you, Father. Jesus was in perfect fellowship with the Father when he was rebuking the cities. There wasn't some kind of switch that he had to turn on in order to be in connection with the Father. He was already there. I don't know about you, but when I'm upset, particularly the angry kind of upset, I don't just go into immediate praise. Most times, I don't go into immediate prayer. I have to try to de-escalate myself before I feel like I can go there. But Jesus' hospitality says, come on in. Right now, right as you are, come with whatever's bothering you. Bring all your emotions and your pain and your thoughts and your frustrations and come and be with me. It's the simplest, most wonderful kind of invitation. Just come. You know, nobody just comes anymore. If I invite you to my house and tell you not to bring anything, do you believe that? If I tell you not to worry about getting cleaned up or dressing a certain way, do you buy it? If it's a birthday party, do you feel like you have to bring a gift? I do. I don't know what to do with the no gifts please kind of parties. We so often feel like invitations are conditional, that we owe something in order to get something, that our ticket in comes with strings attached. But that's not the kind of hospitality that God offers. His invitation is not conditional on what we can bring. 
Now, if I invite you to my house and tell you not to bring anything, but you want to bless me, not because you feel obligated, not because you want to return the favor, but because you love me, well, then that's a different story. Likewise, the only thing we can offer in return to God's hospitality is praise. The thing we see Jesus offer the Father in this story is praise. In return for God's invitation for fellowship out of a heart posture that wants to bless him because we love him, we can joyfully offer praise to God. What I see in this verse that I think is so profound is not just God's offer to come just as we are, but his offer for us to remain in him. The coolest part of God's invitation to fellowship is the opportunity to stay in fellowship, to stay connected, to abide in him, to dwell in him. God is inviting us into a perpetual fellowship with him. Jesus didn't enter God's fellowship the moment that he prayed. He was in fellowship while he was rebuking the cities. That's why there wasn't a switch. That's why he could abruptly start a conversation with the Father. He was already in conversation with the Father. The thing is, we don't get this one right very often. We think that our moments with God somehow need to be disconnected or separate from the rest of our daily living. But that's not the kind of fellowship that God is inviting us into. Scripture tells us to pray continuously. But what does that mean? It means to stay in a perpetual state of connection with the Holy Spirit so that as you're going about your normal day, you can and do start up a conversation with him. At any moment, you can hear from him because you're already in his presence. It means you're remaining in him. There shouldn't be a disconnect there. There's no, there's no need to turn on a switch. We have to start putting God, you know, over here for 30 minutes of our day and then not include him for the other 23 and a half hours. He's offering us continuous fellowship. All we have to do is take him up on it. It is incredibly hospitable of God to offer to always be with him. Number five, Jesus invites us into a lifetime of learning and growing Jesus, as he's praying, thanks the Father that he reveals things to little children. While he's, uh, what he's saying there is that he reveals things to ordinary people, people who, unlike the repentant cities, do turn to God, who do acknowledge their need for him. These are people who don't have their stuff all together, people who are curious and ask questions, people who don't claim to know it all or have it all figured out. God reveals things to people who are humble, because pride inhibits growth. Opportunities to grow is necessary in hospitable places. There's a reason why education and human development are factors in deciding the world's most livable places. In order for a place to be life-giving, you have to be able to learn. And I think God has wired us with this innate desire to grow and improve. And here's the thing, there's hope in that. There's hope in knowing that you can change and mature. There's hope in knowing other people can change and mature. Some of you parents should be really excited about this. Some of you spouses really excited about this. I mean, my husband's probably thinking, there's hope for my wife yet. There's hope in knowing God's not done with you. There's hope in knowing that you've got more growing to do. Part of what makes life so satisfying is the limitless number of opportunities for new information and new knowledge and new ways of doing things. Part of the reason why you're here this morning is because you want to learn. 
Life is richer when we're growing. I think there are two reasons why growth is necessary for hospitality. Number one, God wants you to know him. Think of some of the most fascinating people in history. Albert Einstein, Thomas Jefferson, Nelson Mandela. If one of them sent you an invitation requesting your presence to practically anything, you would go. Why? Because you would want to meet them and get to know them. It would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You know, I, I pulled those names from the History Collection's 40 Most Influential People of All Time. Do you want to know who was number one? Jesus Christ. God invites you to learn about him, to learn from him. It's hospitable for him to do so. Jesus says in this passage that the Father is pleased to do this. The God of the universe, the Savior of the world, invites you to get to know him. It's a remarkable invitation. And secondly, learning is fun. I know I just sound like an ABC Saturday morning like education show there. But it's true. I think God is showing us his hospitable nature, that it's true. If we stop exploring or growing, we will get bored. And here's the thing. Eternity is a long time to be bored. But we're not going to be bored in heaven because we're going to have limitless opportunities to be with God and to learn about him and to hear about all of the things he has done throughout all time. That's better than a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That's out-of-this-lifetime opportunity. It will be wonderful. So God shows us that he's hospitable by creating environments that give us opportunities to learn and grow. Number six, Jesus invites us to share in his kingdom. This point is significant in showing us the hospitality of God. Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. What Jesus means is that he has full and complete authority over the kingdom of God. Jesus is king, and he has invited you and I to share in his kingdom. Jesus, in, in talking with Matthew, uh, Peter in Matthew 16, gives us access to the kingdom of God. Here's what Jesus says in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he's offering us a key. I want you to hear some of the things that having these keys, the keys to the kingdom, means. It means that you have authority to carry out God's will. This includes healing the sick and rebuking the devil. It means you have access to all the blessings and promises and advantages that come from Christ's ruling. It means that you're part of a sphere of influence. You get to make a difference. And most notably, it means that you get to help open the door for people who haven't met Jesus yet. You get to show them around the kingdom. You get to introduce them to the king. God's hospitality means that you get to share in the kingdom of God. Jesus gives you a king to the kingdom because you're his friend. Only people you trust get a key to your house. Only people who know your business and have permission to be in your business get a key to your house. Jesus, throughout his entire time on earth, says, I'm telling you the reason why. I'm telling you my business of why I'm here. I'm telling you the Father's will. You have the keys 
of the kingdom of God, which means that you have unrestricted access to receive the things the king wants you to receive and to do the things the king wants you to do. When we lived in Des Moines, we had a key code on our front door. Our kids were little at this time, and we had several uh, neighborhood, next-door neighborhood kids. And those kids would come to our house all the time. On one particular Saturday morning, it was like 7 a.m., our neighbor boy, Charlie, who was probably five or six at the time, let himself into our house and then let himself into our bedroom while we were still sleeping so that he could start playing for the day. We're like, Charlie, you can't be here right now. The girls are sleeping. Do your parents know you're here? <laughs> See, we had given him the code. And by we, I do mean my, my own kids. But that code unlocked access to our little kingdom. That access meant that Charlie had the authority to be in our house. And that, that authority gave him the confidence to march right into our bedroom, even at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Jesus, in his hospitality, says, you're my friend. Here's a key. Share in the kingdom of God with me. It's so generous. But what's more, Jesus also invites us to share in his inheritance. <laughs> Paul tells us in Romans that we're co-heirs with Christ. The truth is, I don't fully know what all Jesus' inheritance will entail. But you better believe that it will be better than any earthly inheritance you could ever receive. It's an incredibly selfless offer. Nothing is more hospitable than to say, here's everything I have, including my inheritance. Split it with me. Jesus shows us hospitality by giving us the kingdom and the keys to his kingdom. And lastly, point number seven, Jesus invites us into rest. Would you stand with me as we read our verse for today? It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Read them with me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking on the track at the Wellness Center, which, by the way, if you see me walking, I'm often getting in some Jesus time as I do that, so you're more than welcome to join us. But on this particular occasion, I had a vision of Jesus, and he was laughing, like a sincere, gentle kind of laugh. There was nothing mean-spirited or harsh about it. It was innocent. It was just a pure kind of laugh. I had never pictured Jesus laughing before. I guess I tend to take him uh, pretty seriously most of the time. But in that vision, he wasn't taking himself seriously. He was carefree, enjoying life. He wasn't hurried. He wasn't worried. There was a lightheartedness to him. He was like someone I would always want to be with, just truly free. That's how I picture Jesus when I think about him offering me to come with him and find rest for my soul. I imagine accepting Jesus' gift of hospitality to come and rest is like yoking ourselves with a Jesus who is laughing and free. Let me tell you about yokes. For some of you who don't know, yokes were farming tools, I think uh, primarily for plowing. They were wooden bars that coupled two animals together so that the animals could work effectively together. 
Often they would uh, yoke one experienced strong animal and yoke it with a, uh, under the bar with a young, inexperienced, weaker animal. When they did this, the stronger animal would carry the majority of the weight and allow the younger animal to learn and rest as needed. And also the Bible often uses the word yoke as a metaphor for slavery, bondage, or affliction. Here's the point. Jesus offers to take our weariness, our bondage, our baggage, our heartache, and exchange them for his rest. He reminds us that he's gentle and humble in heart. He's not going to force anything on you. He's not going to mishandle your burdens or, you know, accidentally drop the ball. He's not going to shame you or make you feel less than for needing him. In fact, he'll applaud that. Jesus wants you to come to him and learn his unforced rhythms of rest and grace. The kind of rest when you need some rejuvenation. Kind of like a spa day for the soul, but like a spa day that doesn't end. God wants you to be yoked with him so that he can do the heavy lifting, so that he can lead you, so that what remains for you is a yoke that's light and easy to carry, a yoke that allows you to learn and to rest as needed. The message translation sums it up so beautifully, sums up this verse so beautifully. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So bring your tired self. Bring your worn out self. Bring your burnt out self. Jesus is inviting you to go with him, to get away with him, to reclaim your life, to take a real rest, to partner with him. He's inviting you to carry, to let him carry the weight of this world. He'll show you the ropes. He'll teach you how to enter into his rest. He wants your company. Accept his beautiful invitation of hospitality, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. The ability to properly rest is the biggest factor in determining if an environment is truly hospitable or not. We've all been to places where you would not or could not sleep. The ability to rest in a place is the deciding factor if that place is hospitable, if it'll be good for your life. Jesus is that hospitable place. His rest supersedes any kind of physical rest you could ever get. He provides for us the kind of rest that allows us to fully live where our souls are rejuvenated to be free and light. Jesus' hospitality is always available to us. His invitation always stands. He wants to show us his hospital-like nature. He wants to show you that he is hospitable, that he offers you a place, both in eternity but then also here and now, that is life-giving and full. He's inviting us into his power and healing. He's inviting us into repentance and reconciliation. He's inviting us into mercy. His invitation for continuous fellowship is always available. He wants us to grow and, and get to know him more and more. He wants us to share in his kingdom and all that that offers. And his offer of rest, the rest for our souls, is always open. 
I'd like to take the, I'd like to invite the worship team back up as well as we as we close. Let me ask you this question. What's accepting what's stopping you from accepting Jesus's hospitality? I think for some of you, it could be pride. You might think that you don't need Jesus' hospitality. For others of you, maybe you just didn't know that God is a hospitable God. Maybe you've never seen him in that light before. And so this invitation is all very new for you. For some of you, your shame of not feeling worthy enough is preventing you from accepting his invitation. You know, earlier I shared about my neighbor boy, Charlie. Um, the best example of truly accepting hospitality are kids, uh, your kids' friends. Take a look at this picture. See, we might look at that and think, what a mess. But what this picture really means is that those kids have made themselves at home in that place. Kids leave their shoes right at the door like your own kids do. They eat your food and drink your drink like your own kids do. My friends wear my kids' clothes when they're at our house. Sometimes they wear my clothes. I haven't figured that one out yet. It's not because kids are rude or don't have good manners. It's because what could they really bring anyway? No kid accepts an invitation is like coming over with a $20 cabin coffee gift certificate for me. They're not, they don't have a way to say thank you in that, in that way. They're not like whipping up a cake. They're not stopping at the store to pick up a, a bottle of wine, as they sh should not be for sure. No, they just humbly accept the gift of hospitality. They don't bring anything to the table. There's nothing they could bring anyway. So they just accept the invitation to come. They just believe that the invitation truly does come with no strings attached. And they live and act as if it were true. The best thing and that the only thing that kids can do is to say thank you. Jesus is saying, come, come to me. Jesus knows you. He knows your story. He knows just how desperately you need his hospitality. He knows why and where you need the hospital that he offers. He knows what part of your lives, what places aren't life-giving. He knows there's nothing you can do or bring that can pay him back. But the invitation stands regardless. A simple thank you, worship is enough. Jesus' offer to come to him, to find rest for your soul, to find mercy on judgment day, to enjoy and share in his kingdom, his kingdom authority and his kingdom inheritance is life-giving. Jesus is the source of hospitality. Jesus came so that you may have life and life to all its fullness. That's his invitation. Will you stand with me and let's pray. Jesus says, come to me. How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to answer that question? How are you going to RSVP to that invitation? If the Lord leads you, would you, would you pray this? Let's pray together. If the Lord leads you, would you repeat this after me? Jesus, I come to you for my healing. I come to you for restoration. I come to you for mercy. 
I come to you for fellowship and friendship. I come to you so that I can know more about you. I come to you so that I can share in your kingdom. Jesus, I come for your rest. Holy Spirit, yoke me to you. Holy Spirit, carry my burdens. God, I accept your invitation. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we all agreed and said,